0: For 20 years, Jaime Escalante taught calculus at Garfield High School in East LA. The school is in one of the toughest neighborhoods in Los Angeles. Lots of hardened kids attend Garfield High School. But with much persistence, Jaime Escalante Taking hours before school, teaching kids, two to three hours after school, teaching on Saturday, teaching summer school, he had these students passing one of the hardest high school exams you could take, the AP Calculus exam. Many parents at Garfield High School did not like Jaime Escalante. Teachers questioned him, wondering if he was just a prima donna. Administrators actually didn't believe the students that passed the test passed the test. And they accused them of cheating and made the students take the AP exam again, which they all passed again. Asked how he did it, how he kept going, admits all The responses he got from people, all the adversity he received, the tough students, he said this, You have to love the subject you teach, and you have to love the kids and make them see they have a chance. In first century Greece, there was another teacher, and he also taught a motley crew. A crew of Jews, Gentiles, rich, poor, slave, free, pagans, self-righteous. And he formed with them a church. A church that formed a movement that changed the Roman Empire. Through it all, he was labeled duplicitous, crafty, after money, not worthy of honor because of his suffering. But he kept going. Visiting this church multiple times, writing them multiple letters, persisting. Really, his answer of why he did is not far from Jaime Escalante. You've got to love the subject, and you've got to love the people. If you're going to hear anything today, here is the main idea. Paul's ministry was not informed by the strategies of the world, but by the way of Christ patience faithfulness and love for others through this message we hear we can see that Paul's message was genuine when many many questioned his motives let's look shall we 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 12 through Chapter 2, verse 4. Please pay attention as we look at God's word together. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so towards you. For we were not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, then on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on the way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory." And it is God who established us with you in Christ, and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us, and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call to God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I caused you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love That I have for you. The word of the Lord. We're just joining us. Welcome. We're in the book. Or I should say the letter. Of 2nd Corinthians. An epistle. Again that's just a fancy word for letter. Now some of you might think. If you're just exploring for the Bible for the first time. That the Bible is kind of wrapped up into a nice little pretty bow. It lays out principles of Christianity. It just gives nice, clear to-do lists. It talks about pious lives of Christians. Well, I'm here to inform you that's not how the Bible is structured. That's why I think the scripture is so good. The scripture is not foreign to our human experience. Complexities of relationships. Frustration with people. Things not working out the way we want them to. And that is the exact experience of this letter. Paul has spent a year and a half previously with these people in Corinth, this Greek port city. And he started a church there. But quickly the problems arise. He's on his fourth letter dealing with the different issues these people are facing. We have two of them. 1st Corinthians and 2nd Corinthians and here in 2nd Corinthians there are still issues that have not been resolved and one of the major issues that is seen through chapter 1 through chapter 7 of 2nd Corinthians is this Paul's legitimacy of a proponent of the gospel and people are questioning this And they're saying, here, this guy Paul, he doesn't come when he says he's going to come. And then he only comes for a short amount of time when he says he's going to come for a longer amount of time. Is he a man of his word? It seems to me that he likes to come and ask for money. Maybe that's all he's after, is money. It seems to me that this guy just likes to tell us hard things. And also, it seems to us, these Corinthians... He's not as prestigious as some of the other teachers in that time period. Is he credible? Is his message credible? Again, I'm going to give the answer to that question and what Paul says in this section. Paul's credibility is found in Christ. And how we see Christ working in Paul's life, his patience and faithfulness and love for these people, shows the genuineness of this letter and of his message. I guess I'm a firm believer that the people that Paul's addressing are not far from our friends, some of our friends, some of our family members, some of our neighbors, dare I say, some of us. Why should I listen to this? Is it credible? Maybe some of you have looked around and seen the age that we live in. An age of a conoclast. That's a big word for people that like to destroy institutions. We are in an age where it's an amazing thing, a common thing, to question and deconstruct some of the most hollowed parts of our society. Question our government, media, schools, dare I say democracy, family. Hopefully I'm not naive enough to realize that there isn't even a questioning of the institution of the church. I do wonder, as all of us in society, or the majority of us in American society, who value independence so much, and value this idea that we're independent from any institution, and now the majority of us like this idea that we're independent, if that kind of thinking... Is even independent anymore. Or, in fact, we are just thinking the way the majority of people think. Oh, I'm not tied to any group. I'm not tied to any institution. I'm not tied to any thinking. That's really not a revolutionary idea anymore. <laughs> You're not thinking independently if you think that way. And I wonder if we start destroying everything, if there will be anything that we can still hold on to in our society. So from what vantage point do I start a conversation to even convince you when you're not able to and want to listen to any institution or any pastor or any church? I do think there is one thing that I still hear in our culture that people like to hold on to. It is love. That's one thing that is true. That is one thing I can hold on to. Maybe I can convince you today that the credibility of the gospel is because it is real love. Now, you might not believe me. The church is messy and you might have experienced messiness in the church. It's hurt. Messages about the church. Well, I have good news for you. That's not an original thought. It's actually right here. There's the same experience these people are facing in Corinth. The messiness, the hurt, questions about whether this is true or not. And we see Paul in facing all this adversity from the church. He patiently endures and shows them the love that comes from the gospel. My question for some of you today question for maybe your friends or your neighbors or those that we interact with and rub shoulders with. I'm going to challenge you. Will you be willing to maybe listen to Paul today and to see if this message is truly credible? Let's look, shall we? How Paul starts this conversation with people that are questioning his credentials, his credibility, his motives. He starts with this great word, boast. And that would get these people's attention. Why? Because he just spent a whole time in an earlier letter, multiple times saying that the word boast, pride, arrogance, these kind of things, were horrible, were not good. Boast was not a good word, but now he uses this word not once, but twice in a positive way, even referring to himself. That he boasts in what? The testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so towards you. What is Paul doing? Now, you see that for the Corinthians and for Roman culture, they assume that teachers of that age were prideful, sought many recommendations, used their rhetoric, did things for personal gain. That is the kind of way teachers built their credibility. Paul is saying, no, I'm not doing that for these things. No, I'm doing it for the glory of God. And I'm not trying to confuse you by these letters I've sent you in the past. No, the message is the same. The message is about Christ, his death and his resurrection. If you really want to understand Paul and his companions, it's not about their spin It's not about their personal message. It's not about building their tribal group. No, it's the message of Christ that Christ brings salvation to them. That is what they have pride in. This one that can bring salvation to the church and to people. He has pride and he boasts in the message of salvation. And then Paul boasts in the ability of God to work in them. Maybe you've read about Hami Escalante. Maybe you've seen the movie Stand and Deliver, which is about him teaching in L.A. But we see in this process of teaching these students there was a lot of butting heads. There were problems. There were issues. There was wondering, why is this guy so dead set on helping us? He must be after something else. But then when you see that they have passed the AP calculus exam, they boast in Jaime. They boast in what he had given them. The time and the energy that he had given them. He's not boasting in himself. He was boasting in their success and in their accomplishments. And just as they boasted in what he did for them, he boasts in what they had done. In their accomplishments. In their work. Paul is doing the same. He is not bolstering himself he's bolstering the name of Christ. And what he does in these people and then their boast is what Paul had taught them than he had gotten from Christ himself. That is the boasting. I don't know if it's just my generation. Maybe it's us in general. Maybe it's because I feel like I've been sold and marketed my whole life. That I can sniff a sales pitch from a mile away. That's why our generation likes to use the words like authentic, right? Oh, they're not trying to weave me into something. They're being really true, right? It's amazing how we even use the word authentic now to market people, right? And that's what some of us think about the church. You can smell it a mile away, and we see it. We see the scandals. Church is after money. People are after fame. Church leaders use things for sex. I would encourage you, do not throw out the message of the gospel for its misappropriation by some. That was even happening in Paul's day. As we'll see later in this letter. People were using it for their own gain. Let me challenge you. Our enthusiasm on Sunday morning. Our singing. Our confidence. Some of you might call it pride. Some of you might think it's for hidden gain. Could it be? Our passion, our confidence is because we want to genuinely communicate the message of Christ and his love for you. That we communicate this message, not that we just get more and more, you know, tweets or more and more followers or more and more people. We do it because we have been changed by Jesus that he saved us. And that when we see your lives change, we will boast in him and what he does. And when your life is changed, you will boast in the messengers to say thank you for giving me the message of Christ. It's so so hard in our culture to see through the sales pitches. I get it. But could there be something genuine? Paul goes on and now he talks about the conflict about the travel plans. In 1 Corinthians he said he was going to come and visit them and he was going to do it for an extended period of time. And then he said he was trying to visit them twice here but we see because of some issues he's heard from Timothy that's going on in the church he comes and gives them the painful visit and instead of going to visit them again after the painful visit he instead writes them a letter the severe letter and people are mumbling about his word and what he said he was going to do his motivations might for coming is just to collect more money He's just vacillating. Can we really trust this guy? Paul defends himself with two rhetorical questions, both of them demanding a negative response. Verse 17, you can look with me. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? You know, it expects a response of no. Do I make my plans according to the flesh? Ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? No, no. And what does he say in response to defend himself? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. See, what Paul is trying to say is, he is tying himself to Christ. As an apostle. And Paul is a man of his word. In the same way that Jesus is a man of his word. The Sermon on the Mount. Let your yes be yes. And your no be no. And also Paul is saying that. The message that he is giving. Is sound. It is faithful. It will not return void. In the same way it does not return void. In Christ. That Christ fulfills His promises. See again Paul is tying himself. Directly to Christ. and This is where it just gets so. Fascinating. He doesn't stop there. With just himself. And being tied with Christ. Instead he brings the Corinthians. In with him. Look with me. Verse 20. Latter part, this is why through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Paul is talking not just about him and his Timothy and Silvanus, he's also talking about the Corinthians. The church. He ties himself with Christ and ties them then with Christ. And then he uses these very clear pictures to them with kind of visual word pictures to make them realize the completed action. That's the tenses here. The completed action that has happened for them. Again, sorry, I'm making you go to text a lot. That's what you would do with the epistles, okay? Okay. This is logic here. we got to look at how the logic plays out. Verse 21. And it is a God who established us with you in Christ and has anointed us. The literal Greek is he has what? He has uh, basically Christed us with Christ. The Greek word Christ is to be anointed. He's saying Jesus is the anointed one, whether it's oil on his head. to say He is the king of David. He has been anointed. And what he's saying is that you are also then anointed with Christ. That is how you've been put into this group. It's a completed action and now ongoing. That's one visual image. And then what is the next visual image? And what else has he done? He has put his seal on us. And again, that's the letter that you would have, this wax that would seal the letter to know that it was true, that it came from someone. It's official. You've been sealed. And then lastly, a guarantee of the Spirit. That is more of a trade and um, a mercantile language to say that there's been a deposit by a seller to those that purchase. This deposit is guaranteed. It's been purchased. It's done. I love how Paul makes it the trifecta of completed action. Anointed, sealed, guaranteed. It's happened to them. It's a clear picture. Now follow the logic with me. Paul is defending himself by tying himself with Christ. Saying my message is true because Christ is true and I'm tied with him. But if anyone should be questioned about their motives and how they're doing, it's probably not Paul, but instead the Corinthians. Who have multiple problems going on if we read 1 Corinthians. It's a mess. But instead of Paul bringing it to them and dropping the hammer that you have so many problems, instead he says, do you know what? You are also tied with Christ. There is assurance and trust that you are with him. That he is working in you through the Spirit. Rather than question all these people that are questioning him, accusing him, Paul instead trusts Christ in the work in their lives in the midst of their struggle. He is showing patience and faithfulness about God's work in their lives. Does that make sense? That's the logic, okay? It's being played out. I do wonder... I wonder if cancelling will ever stop. I cancel you for saying this. And then I cancel you for cancelling this person. I wonder who will be left. When will it end? I mean, that's what could happen here. They cancel Paul. Cancel, Paul cancels the Corinthians. It goes on and on and on and on. But you see... What Paul does, he goes back to the source. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen. Amen means truly to God for his glory. You could trust Paul because he's tied to the amen of Christ. And Paul could continue to bear with them because he trusts that Christ is tied with them and still working in their lives. Paul had confidence in the basic goodwill of his converts based on the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Extreme patience with the Corinthians trusting in God's work in them. It is a beautiful thing to trust in God's formation and work upon people. If you see Stand and Deliver, and if you've read anything about Jami Escalante, he uses a Spanish word. He's Ecuadorian, and I'll probably butcher it in Spanish. But the word is ganas, desire. And when the students had problems and issues and they were struggling with going to take this AP exam and they could pass it, he said, ganas desire. We have a word too. A word that we can say to each other. Spirit. The Spirit is in work in you. The Spirit is in work in you to transform you and shape you. And I can bear with you knowing that the Spirit has been sealed in your life to work through things that are going on in your life. Could the genuineness of the gospel message be the messenger's love and patience? And trust of God's faithfulness in their life. Let's look on, shall we? It's the last part, last section, verses twenty through three through two four. Now again, they think that Paul's not coming to them is a sign of the inadequacy of his message. And Paul argues at the end of this section that his not coming to them is actually his genuine love for the Corinthians. He wanted to rejoice in God and working in them, but he didn't want to cause harm. That's why he did not come again. He wrote the severe letter out of love for them. Here is Paul that has gone through so much suffering, even to the point of death. And then he's facing conflict even with these people. But he still cares for them enough to give them a hard message. To not lord it over them. And he's saying, I did not visit you. I gave you this letter so that it could be actual love for you. Again, I've I've asking a lot of questions and trying to lead it. I'm going to lead it again. Could the authenticity of the gospel be shown in genuine love for others? Let me anticipate some people's objections. Maybe some of yours or your friends. Why does love authenticate the gospel? Love could just come from the human spirit. Love could could just come from humanism. Love could just come from some ethereal idea or some other religion. Why does it have to come from the message of the gospel? Paul is showing the Corinthians in his bearing with them that love ultimately comes from God. His love for them is showing that there are principles that love abide by. They are not holding to those principles. So he's keeping them accountable to them in the severe letter. In humanist teaching, in the idea that love is love, There is no principles that you hold it to. Why should we love our enemies? Why should we love in certain ways of not abusing people, not lording over people, not lying to people, not hurting people? Why should we not do that? Because love comes from the principle of God who has set it up. That is love. And they are not actually loving in Corinth. By letting this person that is in sexual sin abuse. And that is why Paul writes this severe letter. But they responded positively. So Paul now can respond in 2 Corinthians in a positive way. And he does it what? By not lording over them. But bearing with them, even doing it in suffering. Paul's love for the Corinthians is a glimpse of who he was called by one that confronted us, one that took our sin. One that took the suffering of us so much all the way to the cross and then died for us and our sin. This letter, you might say, I don't know if I can believe this. I don't know if this is true. I don't know if the gospel message is actually authentic. My hope, Is that in this letter you might see. That is not just Paul writing to you. But it is Christ himself. That his hope is that he would boast in you. In your salvation. That Christ has borne with you. Even in your doubts. That he has loved you by telling you hard things. This is a picture of God who wants you to turn from your sin. And he loves you so much that even greater than Paul, he took on our sin and suffered to the point of death. And he did this that one day, that he would be with us in full rejoicing and joy in the same way that Paul says with tears that one day I would come and have joy with you. I personally believe that Paul is referencing Zephaniah. Zephaniah says this, The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That is the authentication of the gospel. That we have a God that has come and loved us and cared for us and called us to repentance and accountability to turn from our sin, that we would trust him in faith, that one day he would exalt with us and rejoice with us. Do you trust this message that comes with patience, is faithful in its promise, and is covered in love?